0: Hello and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Wednesday, September 20th, 2023. I'm Mike Cachopoli. All right, how's everyone doing on this Wednesday, late afternoon, early evening, depending on where you are, depending on where you are. Usually this show airs weeknights, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern time. But uh, today we have a uh, special time. A special time. It's uh, what it's currently 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, because we're going to have a, a guest on the show in just a little bit coming up here. And it's uh, Bruce Lowe, who's running for Congress, U.S. Congress here in San Francisco in uh, Nancy Pelosi's district. The district uh, currently occupied. By Nancy Pelosi now there was the thought just a couple of weeks ago that Nancy was not going to run for re-election everyone I had spoken to I was at the the first Republican debate last month and everyone assumed that she was not going to run again <clears throat> and this was going to be her last term in office for several reasons one there had been uh, a lot of talk about her not running anymore right um and also because she's uh, in her eighties. So we all thought, everyone thought, you know, it's a, naturally she's not going to run for office again. But of course she is because there's no age limit. Should there be an age limit? Of course, there's a, uh, there's a um, oh, there's Bruce. Bruce just came into the room right now. Okay, what I'll do is I'll stop talking because Bruce is here. <laughs> And we'll invite Bruce on to speak. And Bruce, whenever you want to unmute your mic on the bottom left. There you are. Hey, Bruce, how are you? Hello,
1: Mike. How's it going? Good to see you. Good to see you. But I'm on now.
0: Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I just uh, i was just introducing you and talking about that you're running in Nancy Pelosi's district. And you and I had met at the first Republican debate last month. And when we spoke there, it was assumed that Nancy was not going to run again and it was going to be most likely Scott Wiener running for her uh, spot on the Democratic side. But as we now know, she is running again, so she will be uh, once again, the uh, the primary um, uh, opponent for you. Uh, Let let us just introduce you. Tell us just a little bit about yourself and what people should know about you.
1: Absolutely. So my name is Blow. And I am running for Congress here in San Francisco in Nancy Pelosi's district, California District 11. A little bit about myself. I am a Bay Area native, born and raised. I went to school in Berkeley at the University of California. And currently, I am a business owner running a consulting company for people who are looking for a new career. Uh, I've been in this field for the last three years, and it's really such a joy to help um, candidates with non-traditional career paths. Um, I've spent a lot of time with the hiring and, you know, the remote work controversy over the past three years. So it's been a real roller coaster. But now I'm throwing my hat into the political ring because. It is clear that we need change, it is becoming unbearable, and I deeply worry about what our society will look like in 10 to 15 years if something is not done.
0: Now, uh, you're a young guy, I believe you are 26 years old, is that That's correct? correct. Um, and obviously now your, your main opponent is, is someone who's in her 80s, she's been in office here for a, a very long time. You know, I've had John Dennis on my show a couple of times, and we've talked about um nancy pelosi and uh, what she hasn't done what she has done for herself personally right but has not done for the district (laughs) um do you think it's it's the point now hopefully hopefully we know you're running as a republican san francisco is a deeply democratic city it's just the way it is she wins her elections by what 40 50 points do you think, are you hopeful, I know John is, are you hopeful that, that people here in San Francisco are finally ready for a change?
1: Yes, I'm definitely hopeful. If I thought I had no chance, I wouldn't be running.
0: So it didn't matter who your opponent was going to be, right? <clears throat> Whether it was going to be Scott Weiner or Nancy Pelosi, you were going to run anyway, right?
1: Right. I was, honestly, like you, was expecting that Nancy wouldn't run, and I was either expecting Scott Weiner or uh, Nancy Pelosi's chosen su- successor, uh, her daughter, Christine Pelosi. But now mm. that Nancy is running, it kind of changes the strategy a little bit. Because if Nancy was not running, there would at least be fresh blood. But we're getting the same old stuff again.
0: When you say the same old stuff, what do you mean exactly? What kind of, what kind well, of
1: same, same old? Well, Nancy Pelosi is running again. We're not going to see any change in leadership. We are going to see the same stale ideas. And as you said, Nancy Pelosi has done a lot for herself. And she's done a lot for San Francisco, but negatively. I don't think that (laughs) she's made any positive contributions
0: to the city. Um, uh, Unlike most people in Congress, uh, they usually come back to their districts. They campaign a lot in the districts. They do events in their districts when they're not in Washington, D.C., which is what? About half the time, they usually go back home and they hold an events, right? And they talk to people. Th- does she ever right. do that? I never see her doing that, Bruce. No, she never does that. And that's for several
1: reasons. I think that the most annoying reason and why people should be fed up with her is that she thinks she's above all this. She thinks that her election is all but guaranteed. It's like a coronation for her. Mm. So she doesn't see the need to campaign. And why should, why should she, right? She thinks it's given to her. She could be spending that time enriching herself and her family.
0: And that's what she has done. She's gotten very wealthy, hasn't she? A lot, a oh, lot, of, yes. a lot having to do with stocks,
1: right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, going from $3 million net worth to $150 million net worth <laughs> on, 100, on $174,000 representative <laughs> salary. <laughs> I don't know about you, Mike, but there's some problems with that math there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, the math doesn't add up, my friend. It doesn't add up <laughs> at all. And we're hoping, all of us here, that, are, that that understand that she should be out of it by now. That, that people understand this, that she's only made herself wealthier and, and more famous and, and Speaker of the House and a high national profile, but she's done nothing for people in san francisco who are suffering let's talk about some issues bruce let's talk about the top issue on my mind as someone who lives in san francisco is uh is the homeless right we know it's gotten much much worse here under the guidance of uh, gavin newsom and nancy pelosi it's gotten much worse these they've both promised for decades now to uh, to uh, quell the homeless issue, to take care of it, to end homelessness. In fact, Gavin Newsom himself, when he ran for uh, mayor here, said by the time his term was out, there'd be no more homeless. Of course, it got much, much worse. What can really be done, Bruce, to get people off the streets and to get these 10 cities that are all, that are littered all over our streets out of here?
1: Yeah, that's the billion-dollar question, isn't it? How to solve the homelessness problem and the problem isn't that we don't have enough money or that we haven't thrown enough resources at this problem mike do you know how much money per homeless person that san francisco
0: spends yearly how much well take a guess hm each person per year oh yes. boy the city does the city spend 10 grand more More than 10 grand per person. Wow. 20 grand? More. Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, I think I'm, I feel like taking, I'm taking a page out of your old Jeopardy days, which we'll talk about later. (laughs) So I should say, I should say, what is 50 grand? (laughs) You're getting closer, but more. Oh, my God. You can't be serious. It's more than 50 grand. Is it really? Yeah. (sighs) Oh. Boy, Seventy-five grand.
1: It's seventy thousand so, dollars.
0: Wait a minute. The city of San Francisco spends seventy thousand dollars per homeless person per year. Correct. On on what, Bruce? That's wondering as well. <laughs> what? they're there. I don't get it. If you're living in the street, I understand these people do get money, right? They get a they get a, a stipend every month, which is the reason why a lot of people come here to be homeless, right? Because we give them money. We give them, you know, uh, kits so they can do drugs. We give them all those things, but I can't imagine where $70,000 a year is going. I know they're not getting that much money. So it's, but here's the, here's the better question that people might be thinking right now. Does the city show the residents, the taxpayers, where the money's going? No,
1: they do not. It all is in a black hole. And this is all going to corruption, basically. Um, The city does not show where this money is going. And believe it or not, just like we have the military industrial complex, there is the homeless industrial complex. And rather than corporation manufacturing armaments as the main beneficiaries, we have Nonprofits with their bloated administrations and their bloated uh, administrator' salaries that are
0: sucking up all this money so so this is a, a waste of money, and this is what we usually see from Democrats, especially in this city, right, which is just let's continue to throw money. I mean their solution would be seventy thousand should become a hundred thousand, right, and that'll take care of the situation and it, it never does right? Just right. throwing money at this is isn't the answer, is it? No, it's not. And the more money that we
1: throw at the problem, the bigger the problem is actually going to become because the money is not going to the homeless. The money is going into the pockets of nonprofits. And there have been already many corruption scandals, a lot of dark money that is basically disappearing into a black hole. So the administrators of these nonprofits actually have a vested interest to seeing this homeless problem continue. They wanna see this homeless problem continue because if it weren't for this homeless problem, they wouldn't be getting all this funding and there wouldn't be so many jobs and their salaries wouldn't be so bloated.
0: So it's a grift. It is, absolutely. Off the backs of of homeless people, off, off the backs of the least fortunate people, right? Absolutely,
1: it is selfish and it is destructive, and it is harmful to the regular tax-paying citizens of this of the city.
0: Um, is one of the answers, is one of the solutions to this not to give people money, not to promise people money? I mean, because we know that people in other who are homeless in other parts of the country hear about this. They know if they're homeless in, in many areas of this country, they're not going to get uh, you know, a, a a a check for $700 a month or $800 a month or direct deposit for $800 a month or, or a card they can use with that money loaded on it. But when they know when they come here, they can get that. So the incentive is, Bruce, isn't the incentive to come here and be homeless?
1: I think that there's more incentive than just money. But yes, that is one of the driving factors.
0: So was, is that something you'd advocate for? I mean, just el- eliminating that that uh, lure to come here and be homeless? I
1: would definitely reduce that significantly when it comes to eliminating it. I think that ultimately, yes, we do want to eliminate any incentive to come here and be homeless, but one small step at a time. I think that by making it less appealing, that we can start stemming the tide of homeless coming here. And by making the problem a little bit more manageable, we can turn our Sites to tackling the corruption, the grift that we just talked
0: about. What is your take on housing, affordable housing, or or building housing for the homeless?
1: I think that there is a lot of potential that we, we could be using in order to be building housing for not just the homeless, but I'm sure you realize, but San Francisco has a big housing shortage. Mm -hmm. Uh, now there's a lot of different conflicting opinions and i don't want to get too much into it but there are a lot there's a lot of unused space in the city that could be used as infill development and Mm -hmm. you know this actually falls a little bit more into the realm of local politics you know nimbys yimbys uh developers advocates and so on but i think that all of us can agree that, you know, say a parking lot or a, a vacant space can be revitalized and be turned into something that benefits the community, whether that is housing people or be being turned into public green space.
0: Ah, uh, okay. People are getting a little spice of the city with the uh, ambulances and the fire trucks going by. Yes, yeah, to, yes. to get a feel I of know, what it know, lives. <laughs> in san francisco little little slice of life here but those are good ideas now we're, we're constantly hearing about this right the yimby versus the nimby right and people don't understand what the heck it means the yes in my backyard versus the no in my backyard people but obviously everything that's been done by the people who have run this city has not worked right none of it's worked not yep. only has it not worked things have gotten worse yeah so it's uh, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's, you know, it's the uh, definition of insanity, right? Keep on doing the same thing over and over that doesn't work, and hope it'll finally work, and it doesn't. So I understand the idea of the grift, foul the money. I get that. But one thing that bothers me is that we've never heard your main opponent, Nancy Pelosi, even address homelessness. I mean, she had she had the biggest bull, one of the biggest bully pulpits in the country, if not the world, as the Speaker of the House in this country. And I I don't ever remember her really tackling homelessness. Have you? No, I haven't. And the simple answer to that would be she doesn't care.
1: Well, I think that there's two possible solutions. Sorry, two possible answers to why she hasn't addressed this problem. The first is she doesn't care. The second (laughs) is she doesn't know how, and both of them are not satisfactory answers.
0: Another thing that comes along with the homelessness, not not saying the homeless are generally uh, uh, violent, but they can be, especially if they need medication and they don't take it. But another thing that comes with that is the high crime rates here in San Francisco, how how crime, not just uh, as far as, you know, looting businesses, which causes businesses to close. But violent crime has skyrocketed, especially over the last few years. What is your solution when it comes to, you know, uh, cutting down on crime and maybe getting the kind of crime numbers that uh, Florida has under Ron DeSantis?
1: So, funny you say that because i was actually in florida not too long ago and in florida they've got police everywhere they've Mm -hmm. got police patrolling the beaches they've got police on roads they have police who will respond to incidents uh, at a moment's notice i'm not saying that we ought to have police everywhere but i think that the police ought to be doing their job i think that we ought to be enforcing the laws that we have And I think that at a higher level, we need prosecutors who are willing to press charges and press charges heavily for repeat criminals who are the bulk of criminals who are committing these violent crimes.
0: So a big part of this problem is that having these prosecutors here, these Soros, right, backed prosecutors who simply don't do their job. I mean, we just saw Ron DeSantis fire two of them in Florida simply for not doing their job, which is to prosecute criminals, right? Letting letting their political ideology, their left-wing political ideology get in the way of doing their job. And uh, I understand that a governor can do that. I understand that uh, as a congressperson, you can't be doing that. You can't fire people. You can't fire DAs, but you can use that 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 presence in washington dc to make some changes right um this is what concerns me it's that we have too many people in congress who get caught up in these big national issues right uh, you know the, the the weaponization of the department of justice so on and so forth and don't care enough about what's going on in their district with the people who have elected them, the, the 700,000 people or so who elected them to office and, and usually do every two years. So what if, you, if you're in Congress, what things will you do to make sure, let's put it this way, you don't forget where you come from. <laughs> right.
1: So is your question what I would do in order to combat Crime and violent crime.
0: Yeah, what could you do uh, on a federal level, right? Because you'd be in U.S. Congress. You're not going to be in the you know board of you're not gonna board of supervisors here. You're not in the state legislature. What could you do in Congress to cut down on crime in the city?
1: I think that there's a lot to do, even if it doesn't have direct oversight over police departments or DAs locally. I think as a Congressperson, again, you are put into a position of great influence. So you would be able to influence politics in your local constituency just by your very presence, whatever you believe. And, you know, Nancy Pelosi has failed us because she has failed to address these problems. In fact, I haven't heard her say a single word. I think that the problems that San Francisco face are national problems as well. Sure. I think that San Francisco is the poster child for homelessness for Mm -hmm. the rise in violent crime Mm -hmm. this isn't just localized to san francisco you have this in la you have this in seattle you have this in portland and a common theme among these cities is that they're all left-wing cities with very entrenched left-wing politics so i think that there need there needs to be a federal intervention here Otherwise, these cities will continue to sink into degeneracy. Um, Governor Newsom already said that he would send in the National Guard in order to deal with this, but he hasn't. Have you seen so,
0: them? He said they were going to be here months ago. I haven't, no, seen- I, I haven't seen a single one. <laughs> no. He said, he, he said months ago he was putting them in here. And no one I know in San Francisco has seen one. Yeah, me neither. So, so he lied, basically. He lied. <laughs> that's what empty promises. Empty promises. Empty promises. Exactly. He came here and he he did a tour for a few hours. People, this is what I'm going to do, and everyone got all excited about it. The mayor was excited about it, and of course, it never happened. Not one, not one here. He just does what people who lie in polit- people who in politics who lie do, which is say whatever they have to say to get what they want at that moment, and that's it. Okay, so. We talk about homelessness. We talk about the crime situation here. You know, uh, another issue here that is big still, it, it used to be the major issue in San Francisco before homelessness and crime became the issue, which is the affordability or the not affordability, the non-affordability of San Francisco is let's put it this way. I know COVID was a little bit of a natural thing that block, that knocked down uh, rents a little bit, but that's over now. And rents are, skyrocketing and not just here but Chicago and New York City they're all back to where they used to be is there anything you could do to, to to make it more affordable to live here to the average person not not the wealthy techie yeah
1: absolutely I think that if you look at somebody's income where does most of their money go it goes to taxes and it goes to housing mm-hmm. so if we target these two areas, then we can greatly reduce the burden, the financial burden that people are having to bear by living here. So talking about taxes first, most of the taxes that are burdening people here are actually state taxes because the federal tax is something that's applied to people nationwide, but the state tax in California is especially high and especially odious. Now, with that being said, I would work to reduce federal tax burden as well. There is a candidate, Vivek Ramaswamy who has promised to gut the federal government and reduce that bloat in order to reduce Americans' tax burdens. And I fully support that. We do not need so many federal employees. And the way that we are taxed right now it is downright criminal. The American government is acting like the biggest mafia enforcer the biggest legal mafia enforcer in the history of mankind. So when it comes to reducing taxation, that is what I would do on that part. Now to address your question about housing. Now, part of San Francisco's affordability questions is partly rooted in its geography. I don't think that San Francisco will ever be as affordable as say Houston, Texas, Mm -hmm. or um, a city with a lot of land to expand and grow. Mm -hmm. Now, with that being said, I think that there are a few measures that we can take in order to make uh, San Francisco a little bit more affordable. I think one of them would be to increase supply. It's a simple supply and demand equation. If you increase supply, then the price goes down. And this is really where the core of the NIMBY versus YIMBY debates come from, because YIMBYs want to build, 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 while NIMBYs don't want to build anything. I think that there's a middle ground that we can find. And it's not only in San Francisco that we should build in. San Francisco is a tiny city that is surrounded by nine counties with square mileage that is hundreds of times larger than San Francisco. There's San Jose. There's Oakland. There are cities like Albany and Berkeley and San Leandro that could all use a little bit of upzoning, that could all use a little bit of infill, as I mentioned earlier, that could help uh, alleviate the affordability uh, crisis. So those aren't perfect solutions right now, but I do think that middle ground can be found in order to at least alleviate the affordability of the city temporarily. While some more sustainable, long-term solutions could
0: be found, I like the idea that that commonplace between Yimby and, and Nimby, maybe Yimimby, Yimimby, yes, maybe in my backyard, we'll come up with our own group, Bruce. But that's it's a that's a that's a great idea, and and I I've never really liked that battle between those two groups. I think it's kind of like you know putting people in boxes. I think you said there's there's a middle ground that we can come to um, when it comes to that when it comes to that kind of stuff. Now, of course, it'll be U.S. Congress, so we also need to talk about. National issues. Right. And going back to crime for a second, I think just yesterday, in fact, I talked about on my show last night, the Gavin Newsom and the California state legislator has now made it more difficult to carry a gun if you're a law abiding citizen, you know, concealed carry, which we know the opposite happened in Florida. Now you can have you don't have to have a special license. Almost everyone can get a gun license, go through the proper channels, and then they can conceal, carry, and protect themselves from criminals. And Florida is at a, uh, under DeSantis, is on a 50 year low, half century low in crime. While here, the opposite's happening, Bruce. They're making it more difficult for law abiding citizens to um, carry guns in a state where crime is going through the roof, where the criminals pretty much know that the people in the streets are open prey because the government is not going to let them carry guns. What can you do, Bruce, to to put the pressure on a a federal level on on these legislators here in California or the governor of California um, to uh, to uh, to actually abide by the Second Amendment? Well, Mike, I'm a
1: strong proponent of the Second Amendment, and I think that the founders made it the Second Amendment. Because they intended the set for the Second Amendment to be used to protect the First Amendment. And I think that the Second Amendment is a right that is cherished by every single American. And what Gavin Newsom is doing by restricting further restricting our restrictive gun laws in California is just making people easy targets. When criminals know that they are the only ones who are carrying guns because law-abiding citizens cannot get a ccw then we are sitting ducks for the criminals you know federal law supersedes state law so if the federal government is able to pass laws that basically override state restrictions that would open the door for way less restrictive gun laws here in california I think that uh, the United States Congress should protect the Second Amendment on a federal level rather than delegating that right to the states. The Tenth Amendment is the amendment that gives that delegates all these rights to the states, um, the laws that are not explicitly enumerated in the Mm -hmm. United States Constitution. But I think Mm -hmm. that the federal government can take control here. Because the Second Amendment is a right that is enshrined in the Constitution, and to essentially not allow the states to decide how much they want to enforce the Second Amendment because the Second Amendment is a God-given right, and every American should have that right.
0: Yeah, that's something that the the, the Liberal Democrats here in California, including Gavin Newsom, don't don't seem to understand that when the criminal the criminals were always but once again, this is common sense to most Republicans and you and I, Bruce, but it's common sense that the criminals will always be able to get the guns, right? No matter how oh, many yeah. laws you enact, it's not like a criminal is going to say, oh, a new law? Oh, I guess I can't get one Come, It's ridiculous. They're always going to be able to get them, but it's the average law-abiding citizen that's not going, that wants to be law-abiding and isn't going to go to the, unfortunately, this and this is what this does, Bruce, these laws force law-abiding citizens to break the laws. In order to be able to get a gun, right? They have to go on the black market. They have to conceal carry it, hoping that, you know, even if I words, a lot of people I know what they say is, well, I'm going to carry it because I want to protect. I'd rather be alive and in jail than dead. That's what the government here has forced the citizens into. Isn't that a shame?
1: It is such a shame. And I agree with you. It is better to be
0: judged by twelve than to be carried by six. <laughs> exactly, exactly, Bruce. Well, well, well put. Well, hopefully, this is challenging in court, as we have seen through the last four years of COVID mandates. Whenever Gavin Newsom gets challenged in court, he loses. And if this makes it to the Supreme Court, I'm sure he'll lose there also because he loses because. He's constantly defying the Constitution. I mean, isn't that right? That's why he loses in court because he craps on the Constitution. That's right. That is right. Yeah. Um, So it's amazing. So as a congressperson, you are absolutely going to. This, this, people might say, oh, Mike, of course this is the case, but it's not the case anymore. You will uphold the U.S. Constitution. Absolutely. The First Amendment is for everyone, not just one party, right? Not just one. Ideology,
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think that I'm driven by three fundamental values when it comes to deciding my policy positions. And those three values are freedom, fairness and family. Mm. And as you mentioned, the First Amendment is guaranteeing us the most important of all freedoms. So I would absolutely uphold it
0: for everybody. Oh. Every, of course, no, no, no doubt about it. Now, uh, people are saying they're listening. They're saying, "Hey, this this guy sounds he's young and he's he sounds smart and but he's a Republican running in San Francisco." Bruce, how do you do? First of all, I want to make it clear once again to people listening who aren't aware of the system here. You have a primary, right? Super Tuesday, March fifth is your primary and the top two vote getters from that move on to November. Correct. That's correct. So it'll be, let's be realistic. It'll be Nancy Pelosi and someone else. And we hope that someone else is you, Bruce. If it's you and Nancy Pelosi going up head to head next November, Bruce, what can you do? What are the steps you can take? What's the strategy to finally defeat her? So John Dennis has mentioned this
1: before, but there is significant resentment in this city right now. John has said that the progressives are in for a shellicking, and I completely agree with him. People are fed up with the way that things are going, and people had a glimmer of hope when they, when they thought that Nancy was retiring, but because she isn't, we know that we're going to be in for the same old crap for the next two years. So people are sick and tired of what is going on. I am just an average person and I find this unbearable. And I'm sure that the average citizen of San Francisco finds this unbearable as well. People have had it. And I think that there is going to be a massive backlash against the policies that have gotten us to this Point, and Nancy Pelosi is the embodiment of all of those policies. So I think that even though Nancy Pelosi has won 85% of the vote in previous years, I think that a significant number of votes, those, those votes will flip to voting for Republican if it means change. You got to present a viable alternative to uh, the status quo uh, in order for people to vote for you. And I think that viable alternative is common sense policies, common sense rule, rather than the ideologically driven policies that we're getting that have resulted in just so much misery and so much failure.
0: You think people are starting to get to the point of rock bottom?
1: Yes. Uh, Republican registration in the city has is currently at an all-time high and actually accelerating. So that is one very hopeful sign. And another really hopeful sign is the recall elections of Chesa Boudin last year, as well Mm -hmm. as the three radical school board members that were uh, were recalled in overwhelming majority. So those are all harbingers of what is to come.
0: Ron DeSantis was just asked this question I'm about to ask you. I think it's a fair question. Because he's running against, you know, a Trump who's old and Biden who's old. Does age matter? You're 26. She's in her 80s. Is that an issue? You know, I do feel a little bit bad for
1: Nancy because, like, I, I would feel bad running against my grandma, too. You know, I don't want her to, I don't want her to, you know, suffer uh, the fatigue of running this campaign. But with that being said, I think that Nancy should realize that it's time to retire I think that age definitely is an issue, but age is an issue that works in my favor and against Nancy as a 26 year old. I think I bring some youth, some energy, some pizzazz to the table. While Nancy, well, Nancy, well, Nancy's is so bland and she's, you know, so, um, so geriatric and her policies have been around for forever. And, She just doesn't have that sense of freshness that a younger candidate could bring to the table. I think that there is going to be a backlash against older candidates as well. Trump and Biden in the next election combined are going to be the oldest presidential candidates to have ever run. And I think that people are getting sick of it. People are getting sick of uh, Mitch people like Mitch mcconnell who can barely string together two sentences so i think that there will be a tipping point when people say enough is enough and we have to vote in people who are young and smart and motivated to do something
0: bruce i think our city's burning down bruce. And I,
1: I apologize for the sirens. This Do you is part of living in San Francisco? Yeah, I
0: know. it's usually bad in my area. I can't tell if it's you or me or both of us because I think they're going from your area to my area. Yeah,
2: maybe that's
0: it. Oh my goodness! Well, look, and of course, Andrew. I'll get to Andrew in in one second. But um, there's such a huge difference in age between you and Nancy, right? So the, it's, there's a stark difference there, right, that people can can draw on. <laughs> yes,
1: absolutely. I don't think that the the age difference has ever been starker. No, I don't
0: think so either. Nope. So sorry, go on, Mike. Well, no, sure. But- it hasn't been it's never been greater. Yeah, it's 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 almost wow, almost 60 years. That's that's a really big difference. And so I think people should. Uh, I'm hoping people are really at the point now, in general, that they're 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 tired of 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 not just it's not just people in their 70s and 80s being in politics, but it's that those people have been there for 50 years. That's the bigger problem, Bruce, isn't it? Are you for term limits? I am for term limits.
1: I think that it is absurd that people can make their career out of doing nothing in Congress. Like I thought that. Positions like this that are basically a sinecure to do nothing were a thing of the past. But no, we still have them.
0: Absolutely. Let's go to Andrew. Andrew's got, a, I think, a, an interesting question or two. Hey, Andrew, you're speaking to me, you know who I am, and Bruce Lowe, who's
2: running for Congress
0: in San Francisco.
2: Hi, Mr. Lowe. It's interesting to uh, be able to ask you some questions, if you don't mind. I, I heard you Absolutely. talking about the uh, your position on the First Amendment. And I wonder, uh, what is your position on Julian Assange and what will you be if elected to Congress, uh, be doing about the Assange situation? Um, and how does it relate to your view on the first amendment?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question right there. So, um, Assange WikiLeaks founder, that's, that's actually a name that I haven't heard for a, a while, but Assange was able to leak some programs that the United States had in which we were spying on our own citizens. Now, Assange was persecuted by the government for having done this. So he had to run to London, to Ecuador, um, to Russia in order to gain asylum. Now, what I would do with uh, Julian Assange is that I think that Julian Assange should be pardoned. I think that just because he spoke the truth and he unveiled some unethical things that the United States was doing does not mean that he should be persona non grata as he is right now.
0: Andrew, do you want to follow up on that or is that uh, answer your question?
2: Oh, I'd like to follow up on it. I think that's a very good answer, first of all. Just to get that out of the way. And um, uh, would you be willing to use language in Congress uh, like, you know, calling him a political prisoner or a political, uh, I guess, a political prisoner? Because I think in uh, days past, that's what we would have called him.
1: I think that he is indeed a political prisoner. He was imprisoned for speaking his mind, he was imprisoned for. Basically, exercising his freedom of speech, so I think that we owe him a apology.
2: Yeah, that's great. Um, I think that issue alone is—it's uh, a double-edged sword because it, it will help you stand out. It probably help you gain attention, but also it's going to uh, put a giant target on your back. I mean, I think it's going to get you blacklisted. <laughs> I think reasonable people can see how the uh, establishment has kind of formed a one opinion on this, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat. Um, so if you, you know, run on this, I, I would support you basically just on that alone. And I'm, you know, I'm not a Republican, so I think that's a pretty uh, potent issue both ways.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if I may kind of expand upon how I came to this position again, I came to my positions because of my three fundamental values, freedom, fairness and family. And the freedom to do things is what essentially defines us as Americans. Americans were the first ones to enshrine these freedoms into their Constitution. And to preserve these freedoms is the utmost duty of every single elected official who swears allegiance to the Constitution, which includes congressmen. So I think that if we are not willing to apply the same standard to everybody, then this freedom is not actually a freedom, but it's just something that we say that sounds good.
2: Right, I agree. Um, I appreciate your time and I find your canvas very interesting and I wish you luck with it.
0: Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for the call, I appreciate it. So I should have asked a while back, but if Andrew or anybody else wants to learn more about you, what's your website, Bruce?
1: Absolutely. It is very simple. It is brucelowforcongress.org. It is my first name, last name for congress f o r congress. Dot. Sorry. That that's my email. My website is bruceforcongress.org. Um actually I bought both domains, bruceforcongress.org and brucelowforcongress.org and I had them point to, to the same domain. So that's the reason for the confusion.
0: And so it's just Bruce, the number four or the, or F O R. F O R. Okay. So Bruce for Congress.org. Easy yep, enough. Very simple. And that's probably easier because your last name is spelled L O U, Lou, but pronounced low, right? So people could yeah. get confused with that. Okay. Good. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you got Bruce for Congress. That's a good one. Yeah. I I'm, I'm surprised I got it myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk more about your background in a second and not just your business but also your time on jeopardy which is has to be talked about simply because when i googled your name one of the first things that comes up is jeopardy (laughs) and so many people are going to think hey wait a minute maybe i saw that guy we'll talk about that in in a second but i do want to talk about some other issues first such as the border bruce you know of the issues at the border and how they directly affect san francisco right with the Fentanyl issue, right? The fentanyl crisis, which is killing the homeless, killing our children. What can we do, Bruce? What's the the solution to this? I think that for the border, we need
1: to enforce our border and we need to enforce our laws. I think that there's no waffling on this particular issue. We need to close that border ASAP and we need to bring people, bring agents down there in order to enforce that border. Otherwise, we don't have a border. And if we don't have a border, then our national sovereignty is violated. So that is an absolute must that we must do.
0: If I had my way, if I were king of the world, you would be taking office about 17 days before Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis has said that he has a... Border policy, which is basically we will kill these uh, terrorists at the border. We'll kill the people. Stone cold dead, he has said, the smugglers who are sending the stuff across the border because they're basically committing murder, right? They're basically murderers. Would you back that kind of very tough border enforcement? I
1: would back very tough border enforcement. Now, I'm not sure about Ron DeSantis's comment because I haven't seen that comment and I don't want to comment on something that has uh, been taken out of context. So I'm going to add my own context in. I think that if you are smuggling drugs into this country, you know, in direct violation of the United States law, the United States should have a shoot to kill order because that is tantamount to declaring war on this country's citizens they are actively bringing in poison to this country. And if history has shown anything, drug smuggling into a country is one of the fastest ways to destroy a country from within. So, yes, I would back a very tough policy on these smugglers.
0: What is the, um, with, with the fentanyl issue, which is a big issue here in San Francisco, we know that, other than obviously stopping stopping these people from bringing this stuff across the board. We know it also comes from China through Mexico to here. That's another problem. But what can you do locally, you think, to make people more aware of this issue? We know that I've I've had on Jackie Berlin, Moth's Against uh, Drug Addiction and Death on the show a couple of times. What and She's, she's shared her ideas, which are good ideas, but wh- what would you do? What could you do in U.S. Congress to to uh, squash the, the fentanyl issue problem?
1: I think that there is a very powerful lever, a very powerful mechanism that our elected officials are not taking advantage of right now in order to stop the phantom issue, and it, that is the RICO Act. Mike, are you familiar with the RICO Act? Uh,
0: slightly, slightly. Yes, I, I know. I know how it's been used against uh, the mafia and now Trump. But you can t- you can talk more about it. Go ahead.
1: Right. So the RICO Act allows for the prosecution of higher-ups in criminal organizations, not just the people who are committing the crimes. So how it's been used against the mafia is that, you know, mafia dons actually don't carry out the hits that they order. They have their enforcers do that or their right. to do that. Right. And if we didn't have the RICO Act, well, we would just punish the enforcers while the dons would get off scot-free because mm-hmm. they didn't actually commit it. But with Mm -hmm. the legal act, because they ordered the hit and that they were aware of it and they're heading up the criminal organization that carried out these hits, they could be held responsible for it. So this carries on to the fentanyl crisis. We arrest drug dealers all the time, street-level dealers, and we bust them for distribution of fentanyl or drugs. And I, I, I think that we should be busting them, but I think that We should go one level deeper. Who is actually supplying these street-level dealers? Who do these street-level dealers report to? We need to kill off that source at the source. So I think that applying the RICO Act and basically destroying the criminal organization from the root is one powerful mechanism that we must use in order to stop the fentanyl crisis.
0: And I do, to be fair, I do want to get Ron DeSantis's exact quote: Right, if you have somebody coming in with the fentanyl in the backpack, they even break through the border wall where there is a wall. If they're doing that, that's the last thing they're going to be able to do because we're going to leave them stone cold dead at the border. So that's the exact that's the exact quote. So once again, I, I think we're in a position. You know, there are some parts of this country where they may not have this problem. We see immigration a huge issue. We see now these. Uh, uh, cities such as New York, which used to welcome, right, sanctuary cities, right, which used to welcome uh, all of these immigrants, saying now we can't deal with them anymore. We don't want to be, we don't want to be a, sa-. once they felt what a lot of these small towns in Texas were going through, they said, oh no, the sanctuary city thing might not be the greatest idea, is it, Bruce, <laughs> to have a sanctuary city? Because at some point you're going to feel the effect of those. In extreme liberal policies.
1: Yes, absolutely. Mike, does the name Kate Stanley ring a bell to you? No. So in San Francisco in 2015, a woman called Kate Stanley was walking along the Embarcadero when she suddenly fell dead, struck by a bullet that was hurtling through the air. And that bullet was fired by... Right, right. Yeah,
0: yeah. So... But um, he was he was acquitted, wasn't he?
1: He was. He was yeah. acquitted.
0: Right. Uh, he said something like it was an accident or the gun dropped, something like that. And whatever his defense was, the jury bought it. Um, but yes, that was done by an illegal immigrant. There's tons of crime done by illegal immigrants. There's no doubt. The left doesn't want to talk about it. Once again, not every illegal immigrant commits crimes. Some of them are very law-abiding people, but some are not, right? And we have enough crime in this country committed by citizens that we don't need to add to it in this, in this regard. So a little bit more, I think, about you. So did you have a company? Do you have a company called Stingray? Correct. That what is, is the company that I own. What is it?
1: Uh, it is the consulting firm that I mentioned earlier that helps people with uh, careers in transition. Uh, Stingray offers advice, coaching, guidance, um, even down to negotiating the final package, when it comes to people who are looking for a career change.
0: So it's it's is it a career management career advice? It is a consulting firm. I think that's the best way to put it. If it's a consulting, and you started that all by yourself. Yep. Excellent. Is it going well?
1: It, it, it's going well. I think that it's, you know, Stingray is one of those companies that will never make it onto the Nasdaq or the the Fortune 500, because fundamentally, it is a small-scale people business. And fundamentally, I love working with people directly. So this isn't a company that sells a product that can be very easily scaled. It is a company that deals with every individual case very carefully. So it's very fulfilling to me, but it's not a company that would, say, make it big. And I think that even though I've made a lot of impact in people's lives with Stingray, I think that because I want to help people, I think that by, doing, by running for Congress, I can help a hell of a lot more people.
0: So you're actually going to Congress to help people? Did I hear that right? Did I, I, hear mean, that? I
1: think that if you're not running for, if you're running for Congress not to help people, I think you're in the wrong business. Right. For example, like Nancy Pelosi, I think that she's in there in it just to help herself. So I believe that she is in the wrong business.
0: So you you have a, a you have confidence that you will finish at least second, right, come March and be able to take on Nancy head. And of course, that's the game, right? You want to be able to get rid of any other of your opponents, and just you and Nancy head to head between March and November, correct? I hope so. Do you think we talked about this a little bit, you and I? And I've talked about it many times with John Dennis. She is a fundraising machine, right? Not just for herself, but for anybody else. That's why they love her there. Because even if they might disagree with her politically, she's not progressive enough. People like AOC, she's able to pick up the phone and raise millions in very little time. How the heck, Bruce, do you combat that money machine?
1: I think that we combat that money machine through uh, a couple of, tactics and both of which are akin to guerrilla warfare you know the the only way to defeat somebody like pelosi is to wage an unconventional war because if we face them if we face her head on we're gonna lose so we have to uh approach this from a guerrilla war standpoint both in terms of fundraising and what we actually do with that money in terms of fundraising i think that the grassroots are going to be essential. They're going to be the backbone of my fundraising strategy. Pelosi relies on big name donors. She can make a phone call and they'll write her a check for thousands of dollars. But I think that the power of the people to donate money in small chunks because they want to see change in government is underrated. And again, I don't know how this campaign is going to go, but I suspect that we are going to see the power of the people in full force this campaign. And with regards with, to how this money is spent, um, it's not always the case that the campaign that spends more money wins. Just look at Jerry Brown and Meg Whitman running for mm-hmm. California governor mm-hmm. in 2010. Meg Whitman outspent Jerry Brown uh, probably six to one, seven mm-hmm. to one, yeah. something like that. But Jerry Brown still won because his message appealed to voters, while Meg Whitman came across as somebody who was running just to enrich herself and her friends, which is exactly what Pelosi is doing. So I see a lot of parallels there, and I'm hopeful that by raising money smartly and spending it smartly, we're able to strike at her weaknesses and make the most of our limited resources.
0: Um. And I hope that, too, Bruce. I mean, this is what drives me crazy about this game of running for office, which, of course, I did 15 years ago, is that people complain all the time. Oh, we got to get money out of politics, money, money, money. And then they vote more often than not for the person with the most money because that person can run ads, right? And they get visibility and the other people don't. That's what drives me crazy. You know, it's almost like if people want a fundamental change, they need to start voting for the people with the least amount of money, right? Not the most. The money but just a reflexive thing so people say they want one thing but they're constantly voting for the people with most money so i hope people will only in here in our, in our little city of san francisco which is grown smaller over the last few years because of people leaving that uh and that, you know what let me let me that made me think of one more thing here that i want to talk about which is small business very important and we know As I mentioned, people have left San Francisco over the last three years because of COVID mandates and policies. We saw people moving from New York and uh, California, Texas, and Florida where things were open. So what can you do, Bruce, now in this, hopefully, finally, post-COVID world to get businesses open, to open again, people to open businesses in San Francisco?
1: So in San Francisco, I think that small business, the biggest hurdle that small businesses face is the homeless problem and the crime problem. I have taken the time to speak with many small business owners in San Francisco, just walking into their store and then asking them how business is going. And invariably, they tell me that business is not going too well. Almost invariably, they tell me that they're seeing a decline in foot traffic. And when I ask them why, they say, it's because the homeless problem is driving people away. They say that crime is driving people away. They say that petty theft is cutting into their profits and they can't do a thing about it. So I think that all of this is tied to the homeless problem and the crime problem that we talked about in length earlier. So if we, need to, if we want to bring small business back to San Francisco and help small businesses that are already existing thrive, we have to solve that problem first and foremost.
0: Of course, you said crime is a big reason why people are closing up shop. We see businesses here in San Francisco that have been here for over 100 years who are closing. And when you talk to them, yeah, the mandates hurt them, right? The loss of business for a couple of years hurt. The inability to get employees hurt, but they're tired of crime. They're tired of their businesses being broken into, right? How many Walgreens and CVSs have we seen close here? You know, how depressing is it, Bruce, you know, as well as I do, to walk past a store, a restaurant or or pharmacy and see it all boarded up and still open, but all boarded up like it's a third world country. This is what needs to end here. We need to the revitalization of San Francisco has to happen sooner or later. But under the current leadership, I don't believe it can ever happen. Do you agree?
1: I completely agree, which is why I'm running.
0: Is there any other reasons why you're running or any other issues that I didn't cover here that you want people to know about, know your stance on or know about you?
1: Yeah, I think there's one important issue that I would like to fight for. And that is fairness in admissions. Okay. Have you heard about the affirmative action case that has been developing recently in the Supreme Court? That yes. The Supreme Court ruled on. Right, right. Well, what do you think about that? What do you think about ensuring that universities have fair and transparent
0: admissions? Absolutely. I thought it was a landmark decision. You know, I talk about identity politics, right? I talk about wokeness in politics. Uh, and of course, we've seen this in admissions, right? Where it's the. It, it, they think they're combating racism, but it's just more racism, right? Because it's not a. It's not a level playing field when you're eliminating a whole group of people because of their race.
1: Absolutely. It is an insult to the memory of Dr. Martin Luther King to treat people differently based on their race. And what they're doing right here is they are treating people unequally under the law, which is a violation of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. So they're acting unconstitutionally they're acting amorally. This is fundamentally un-American. And I'm really glad that the Supreme Court ruled that affirmative action is bogus. And I think that these universities should start abiding by fair admissions policies.
0: Fair admission policies and enough with the mass mandates and vaccine mandates, correct? Agreed. Yeah. Well, I, I think you can help fight for that stuff, having a sane voice, like you in Congress, I do want to end kind of on a lighter note. I allude to this. So people are going to wonder, how did you get on Jeopardy?
1: Uh, that's a wonderful question. <laughs> so first of all, when I was a kid watching Jeopardy, I would always answer more questions than the contestants usually did. So people would always tell me, Bruce, you should go on Jeopardy. And truth be told i had no idea how to get on jeopardy i was just as clueless as you but it all changed one day when i saw a high school friend go on jeopardy and i was so shocked to see him because he was one year, year older than me uh we had gone to berkeley together as well and there he was so i asked him how How to get on Jeopardy? So the process is actually pretty simple. It's actually pretty straightforward. You got to take an online test, and if you get above a certain number of questions correct out of fifty, you get to audition in LA. So I passed the test with flying colors, um, and they called me down to LA. And this is the part when most contestants get eliminated, because in LA. They bring you down, you, you know, they have a mock set up, they have a camera, and they have the background and all that. And what they're trying to evaluate you on is not your your intelligence, not your mental ability, because they already got that from the test. They're trying to assess your stage worthiness. Do you have a personality, basically? And I was sure to really play it up, to really <laughs> ham it up in front of the Jeopardy producers. Um, basically, every single quirk that I had... Every single personality personality trait that I had, I really dialed it up to eleven, and apparently they loved me so much because. Uh, about two months later, I got a call back from the Jeopardy Studios saying, "Hey, you want to be on Jeopardy? Um, fly down to Culver City on this date, and we'll film it for you." And that's how I got on the show.
0: Wow! Wow! And you won, didn't you?
1: I did. Yeah, I I, I won my first episode.
0: Uh, so any any of that money still there? Can you put it into the campaign, or is it gone? <laughs>
1: I, I think I invested most of that money. You know, I was pretty wise. But, you know, now that you've mentioned it, uh, some of that money could go into the campaign as well. I think that that would be a great story. You know, <laughs> um, bundling Jeopardy winnings into a congressional campaign. Look, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I have a trivia question for you, Mike. Mm-hmm. Who is the most recent Jeopardy winner to hold public office?
0: There is one, I mean, there's a Jeopardy winner who's in public office now, or was? No,
1: who who was the most recent one? The most recent Jeopardy winner. Yep, and, was, and he, was, he was a he was a pretty famous uh, politician as well. And federal, national, federal, or, or federal. What? And I know for sure you know the name.
0: Oh my goodness!
1: But he's no longer with us.
0: Oh, no longer with us at all. Oh my. Okay. This is not easy. Um okay. Uh, I'm going to take a guess. This can't be right. But maybe who is Harry Reid? No, it's
1: not Harry Reid. Oh shit. Um I'll give you a hint. He's a Republican.
0: Dude, I feel like I, I the music's playing in my head, Bruce. Say that again. What was the hint? Uh he's a Republican. Oh, what a Republican. I should have known. I should have known. Um Well, Andrew says Ronald Reagan. Is that correct? It's not Ronald Reagan. Okay, let me try. Okay, so it's a a Republican. I'll get one more guess here. And there are people who are going to be listening to the show who know this. But, uh, okay, so it's not not Harry Reid, not Ronald Reagan. He is a Republican federal, not with us anymore. Okay. All right. Okay. The only one I can think of is, okay, one more guess. Who is Bob Dole? It's not Bob Dole. (laughs) Who is it? It's John McCain. Oh, was John McCain on Jeopardy? John McCain was on Jeopardy. Wow, that must have been a long time ago. Yeah,
1: he was actually on Jeopardy, I think, in the 60s.
0: Holy cow, I did not know that. Makes sense. He was a smart guy, John McCain. Did he he, he won on Jeopardy? He won. He won. One day. So you are kind of hoping to follow in the footsteps of Mr. McCain a little bit, huh? Absolutely. Not, but... uh, Boy, I said we'd ate on a light note, but now this is taking me to a heavier... But not when it comes to uh, war, right? No. I mean, for all... <laughs> bit of, bit far- of a war hawk, Mr. McCain was. <laughs> true, true. But, you know,
1: John McCain, you know, may you rest in peace, I thought was a very respectable politician. Sure. I watched his campaign against sure. Obama, and yep. he always acted with dignity, and he Imagine always- that. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. I, I do respect his integrity and I respect his stand for positions in which he was he, in which he thought he was right. And he always acted in the interest of the people. And I I really respect that. And I think that's in short supply nowadays in our elected officials.
0: And let me tell you something. You're right. And they keep on showing that clip recently of that woman at that uh, forum when she was talking about Obama not being a citizen. And he took the microphone away from her. Right.
2: And oh yeah, I remember no, that. No,
0: no, no, no. He's a citizen, and that is something you don't see from politicians very often. We need more of that. We need more. Just, oh, look, honesty and integrity and consistency. Right? Absolutely. That's, that's what we need. There's, there's your slogan: honesty, integrity, consists. Well, if you're wondering who the next representative, what's the district in San Francisco? I never. Un- what's what's the district here that you're running 11. for? 11. 11. I never, I always say San Francisco. I never say 11. The next representative here in California, U.S. Congress in the 11th District, the answer is going to be, the answer is going to be, <laughs> who is Bruce Lowe? How do you like that? I, I love that, Mike. <laughs> hey, Bruce, thank you. Once again, your, your website is bruceforcongress.org, right? That's correct. Great. Bruce, we'll have you on again. The election is not until, the primary not until March. So we'll do this again before then.
1: Absolutely, Mike. This was a hell of fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I look forward to being on here again.
0: And I'll see you around. I'll see you around this city. Absolutely. You, Absolutely. Well,
1: to everybody, have a good
0: night. Thank you. Thanks, Bruce. Thank you, Mike. That's, appreciate it. Okay. So that was uh, Bruce Lowe running for Congress in say, in the California's 11th district, U.S. Congress. And remember, March 5th, Super Tuesday. It's easy to remember. It's easy to remember. Um. Because it's Super Tuesday, 2024, will be the primary. And Bruce has to finish the top two. Finish the top two, you move on to the general election in November. Okay. I want to thank for Bruce for being on the show. I want to remind everyone we're back to our normal time tomorrow night, which is 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern, Thursday night. Uh, I'll see everyone there. You've been listening to and let's be heard. But until tomorrow night, this is Mike Ajopoli reminding you, that your influence counts. Use it!